Chapter Thirty of the Night Horseman. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Night Horseman by Max Brand. Chapter Thirty. The Voice of Black Bart. Her father lay propped high with pillows, among which his head lolled back. The only light in the room was near the bed, and it cast a glow upon the face of Joe Cumberland, and on the white linen, the white hair, the white pointed beard. All the rest of the room swam in darkness. The chairs were blotches, indistinct, uncertain. Even the foot of the bed trailed off to nothingness. It was like one of those impressionistic, very modern paintings, where the artist centers upon one point and throws the rest of his canvas into dull oblivion. The focus here was the face of the old cattleman. The bedclothes, never stirred, lay in folds sharply cut out with black shadows, and they had a solid seeming, as the mortcloth rendered in marble over the effigy. That suggested weight exaggerated the frailty of the body beneath the clothes. Exhausted by that burden, the old man lay in the arms of a deadly languor, so that there was a kinship of more than blood between him and Kate at this moment. She stepped to the side of the bed and stood staring down at him, and there was little gentleness in her expression. So cold was that settled gaze that her father stirred at length, shivered, and without opening his eyes, fumbled at the bedspread and drew it a little more closely about his shoulders. Even that did not give him rest. Presently the wrinkled eyelids opened, and he looked up at his daughter. A film of weariness, heavier than sleep, at first obscured his sight. But this in turn cleared away. He frowned a little to clear his vision, and then wagged his head slowly from side to side. Kate, he said feebly, I done my best. It simply wasn't good enough. She answered in a voice as low as his, but steadier. What could have happened? Dad, what happened to make you give up every hold on Dan? What was it? You were the last power that could keep him here. You knew it. Why did you tell him he could go? The monotone was more deadly than any emphasis of a raised word. If you'd been here, pleaded Joe Cumberland, you'd have done what I'd done. I couldn't help it. There he sat at the foot of the bed. See where them covers still kind of sagged down. After he told me that he had something to do away from the ranch and that he wanted to go now, that Black Bart was well enough to travel in short spells. He asked me if I still needed him. And you told him no, she cried. Oh, Dad, you know it means everything to me. But you told him no. He raised a shaking hand to ward off the outburst and stop it. Not at first, honey. Give me a chance to talk, Kate. At first I told him that I needed him, and God knows that I do need him. I don't know why. Not even Dr. Byron knows what there is about Dan that helps me. I told Dan all them things, and he didn't say nothing, but just sat still on the foot of the bed and looked at me. It ain't easy to bear his eyes, Kate. I lay here and tried at first to smile at him and talk about other things. But it ain't easy to bear his eyes. You take a dog, Kate. It ain't supposed to be able to look you in the eyes for long. But suppose you met up with a dog that could. 
It'd make you feel sort of queer inside. Which I felt that way while Dan was looking at me. Not that he was threatening me. No, it wasn't that. He was only thoughtful. But I kept getting more nervous and more fidgety. I felt after a while like I couldn't stand it. I had to crawl out of bed and began walking up and down till I got quieter. But I seen that wouldn't do. Then I begun to think. I thought of near everything in a little while. I thought of what would happen. Suppose Dan should stay here. Maybe you and him would get to like each other again. Maybe you'd get married. Then what would happen? I thought of the wild geese flying north in the spring of the year, and the wild geese flying south in the fall of the year, and I thought of Dan with his heart following the wild geese. God knows why. And I seen a picture of him standing and watching them, with you nearby, and not able to get one look out of him. I seen that, and it made my blood chilly, like the air on a frosty night. Kate, there's something like the power of prophecy that comes to a dying man. Dad, she cried, what are you saying? She slipped to her knees beside the bed and drew his cold hands toward her. But Joe Cumberland shook his head and mildly drew one hand away. He raised it with extended forefinger, a sign of infinite warning, and with the glow of the lamp full upon his face, the eyes were pits of shadow with stirring orbs of fire in the depths. "'No, I ain't dead now,' he said, "'but I ain't far away from it. "'Maybe days, maybe weeks, maybe whole months. "'But I've passed the top of the hill, "'and I know I'm riding down the slope. "'Pretty soon I'll finish the trail. "'But what little time I've got left "'is worth more than everything that went before. "'I can see my life behind me "'and the things before like a cold morning light was over it all. You know, before the sun begins to beat up the waves of heat and the mist gets tangling in front of your eyes. You know, when you can look right across a thirty-mile valley and name the trees, most on the other side. That's the way I can see now. There ain't no feeling about it. My body is all plumb paralyzed. I just see and know. That's all. And what I see of you and Dan, if you ever marry is plain hell. Love ain't the only thing that is between a man and a woman. There's something else. I don't know what it is, but it's sort of a common purpose. It's having both pairs of feet stepping out on the same path. That's what it is. But your trail would go one way, and Dan's would go another. And pretty soon your love wouldn't be nothing but a big wind blowing between two mountains. And all it would do would be to freeze up the blood in your hearts. I seen all that while Dan was sitting at the foot of the bed. Not that I don't want him here. When I see him, I see the world the way it was when I was under thirty. When there wasn't nothing, I wouldn't try once. When all I wanted was a gun and a hoss and a song to keep me from trading with kings. No, it ain't going to be easy for me when Dan goes away. But what's my tag end of life compared with yours? You've got to be given a chance You've got to be kept away from Dan. That's why I told him, finally, that I thought I could get along without him. Whether or not you save me, she answered, you signed the death warrant for at least two men when you told him that. Two men? There's only one he's after, and Buck Daniels has had a long start, 
He can't be caught. That Marshal Calkins is here tonight. He saw Buck at Rafferty's, and he talked about it in the hearing of Dan at the table. I watched Dan's face. You may read the past and see the future, Dad, but I know Dan's face. I can read it as a sailor reads the sea. Before tomorrow night, Buck Daniels will be dead, and Dan's hands will be red. She dropped her head against the bedclothes and clasped her fingers over the bright hair. When she could speak again, she raised her head and went on in the same swift, low monotone. And besides, Black Bart has found the trail of the man who fired the barn and shot him. And the body of Buck won't be cold before Dan will be on the heels of the other man. Oh, Dad, two lives lay in the hollow of your hand. You could have saved them by merely asking Dan to stay with you. But you've thrown them away. Buck Daniels repeated the old man, the horror of the thing dawning on him slowly. Why didn't he get farther away? Why didn't he ride night and day after he left us? He's got to be warned that Dan is coming. I've thought of that. I'm going into my room now to write a note and send it to Buck by one of our men. But at the most he'll have less than a day's start. And what is a day to Satan and Dan Barry? I thought it was for the best, muttered old Joe. I couldn't see how it was wrong. But I can send for Dan and tell him that I've changed my mind. He broke off in a groan. No, that wouldn't be no good. He set his mind on going by this time, and nothing can keep him back. But, Kate, maybe I can delay him. Has he gone up to his room yet? He's there now. Talk softly, or he'll hear us. He's walking up and down now. Aye, 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 nodded old Joe, his eyes widening with horror, and his footfalls is like the padding of a big cat. I could tell it out of a thousand steps, and I know what's going on inside his mind. Yes, yes, he's thinking of the blow Buck Daniels struck him. He's thinking of the man who shot down Bart. God save them both. Listen, whispered the cattleman. He's raised the window. I heard the rattle of the weights. He's standing there in front of the window, letting the wind of the night blow in his face. The wind from the window, indeed, struck against the door communicating with Joe Cumberland's room, and shook it as if a hand were rattling at the knob. The girl began to speak again as swiftly as before, her voice the barely audible rushing of a whisper. The law will trail him, but I won't give him up. Dad, I'm going to fight once more to keep him here. And if I fail, I'll follow him around the world. Such words should have come loudly, ringing. Spoken so softly, they gave a terrible effect, like the ravings of delirium or the monotone of insanity. And with the white light against her face, she was more awe-inspiring than beautiful. He loved me once, and the fire must still be in him. Such fire can't go out, and I'll fan it back to life. And then, if it burns me, if it burns us both, the fire itself cannot be more torture than to live on like this. Hush, lass, murmured her father. Listen to what's coming. It was a moan, very low-pitched, and then rising slowly and gaining in volume, rising up the scale with a dizzying speed till it burst and rang through the house. The long, 
drawn wail of a wolf when it hunts on a fresh trail. End of chapter 30